it must be magic that brought us together for this conversation today. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. When did you first get into, I, I, I hesitate to say magic because of this label of mystic practitioner, but when did you get interested in the occult? I, I couldn't even tell you because I, I feel like it's been with me my entire life. I think, I, I think my first realization of that interest is probably when I was very, very young and I saw a labyrinth. I said, what is this? What are these things? And that sort of dipped me into the realm of, of fantasy. And through that, I was able to explore other things that kind of trailed off from that, you know, different parts of spirituality and witchcraft and things like that. And it's just, it's always been a very big part of my life in some way, even before I even knew kind of what it was, I was always kind of out in, in nature and making weird potions. And I, you know, I, I would journal a lot and a lot of stuff would come out in journals and yeah, I just, I feel like it's always been part of me. Mm-hmm. Good times come and good times go and when they do hold on to these bones and feathers, herbs and stone, words and weather, hearth and home. Hippie witch, hippie witch, magic with the switch of your mind, so kind. Hippie Witch, Season 3, My Favorite Number. Nice. Hi, thanks for joining me for Episode 479 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com, where you will also find the show notes for this episode, including links to our featured guest, Ryan Kerr, the author of Sage, Smoke, and Fire. And you will find links to Phoebe Miller our book club queen. <laughs> so this is going to be a really fun episode and I hope you will go check out the show notes because there's some good stuff over there. Over the years and doing this podcast, I have realized that I have a very specific interest in this idea of creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. And that's really what brought me personally to magic in the first place. My own dreams and and my inability to achieve them not because I wasn't capable but because I was scared and magic became a way to get over myself to get over the fear or at least through it and ultimately I found I just have to take it forward with me as this kind of overly cautious worry wart of a companion <laughs> but I have found ways to move forward Anyway, and I started working as a life and biz coach shortly after starting this podcast. And really because of the podcast, 
and the requests for coaching calls that started coming in from listeners and and finally answering that call to add coaching to my creative repertoire, I learned that fear, it's not my special thing. Fear is the thing that holds most of us back. And at times it really seems pervasive. It seems like it's everywhere. It's in the ways people attack each other and lie to each other and hide from each other. And what interests me even more than that is the way fear is revealed in the ways that we attack and lie and hide from ourselves. And I not only have tremendous compassion for that, but I have literally made it my mission to be helpful in that one regard. I want to inspire and encourage the dreamers of the world to move through fear or with fear, as I have learned to do, to be the people that we know deep down in our hearts we were born to be, to create the kick-ass life of our dreams. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I will go down like the cheesy cornball I am. And for so many of us, the kick-ass life of our dreams, it, it, it looks like creativity. It looks like magic. So what I love to do is feature the whole spectrum of the creative journey here on the podcast to feature creatives at every phase from beginner to award-winning big shot. <laughs> that to me is what makes Hippie Witch special. If not for you, then for me. This podcast and you, you kind, magical listeners, are so special to me. And I've been wanting to do something this for the holidays, especially because it's a weird year. Things are kind of weird. I've been wanting to do something for the holidays to create a greater sense of community for us all, to tie in the many thousands of you. Hello, shout out to all of you who listen to this public podcast with the much, much smaller private group of us who have gathered over on Patreon. Because if you all could see how incredible that private community is, how kind people are to each other, and the ways that they support and encourage each other, and the fun and the tarot and the magic going on over there, it would definitely put a smile on your face, maybe encourage you to start something similar of your own. That, to me, is what the world needs now. Community. Community and kindness. Kind community. So, along with our Patreon book club queen, Phoebe Miller, I have decided to take our witchy book club our next pick for the Witchy Book Club, to take it public. And the next pick is Ryan Kerr's Sage, Smoke, and Fire. Because books, books, books are great conversation starters. And this book is exceptionally witchy. It is filled with both fantastical magic, the kind of fantastical magic that you want when you pick up a work of fiction, but also realistic witchcraft because the author is himself a witch. This is also the first self-published work that we've ever featured in the club, so it feels aligned, too, with what I was just saying about this mission of creating the kick-ass life of our dreams. So that is what this episode is about today, and it's going to be in two parts. 
So first there will be the interview with Ryan, who also happens to be a pastry chef and a massage therapist and an Aries. <laughs> There's quite a bit of discussion of the fire element and what it's like to be an Aries and how do you wrangle that energy in? All of that starter energy, all that fire starter energy. How do you wrangle that in to see a big project through to the finish? I think that part of the conversation is going to be really powerful for you other Aries out there or people who have Aries prominent in their chart or if you just identify as a starter, like somebody who starts things because you like that beginning energy, but then you struggle to finish a thing. And then also, I just have to give a little plug to... <laughs> A little shout out to the ice cream flavor that he, as a pastry chef, created for Cersei Lannister. I might have brought that up a couple times during this conversation because I think that is so fun. He's such an interesting, fun guy. I I get crushes on a new person just about every day. I love people, but I especially love creative people, so you will definitely hear me acting like a dork in this episode and like, oh, I love this. You're so interesting. What a fascinating person, which is kind of how we got here. <laughs> I was having so much fun. I was like, oh, let's keep it going. Let's do a book club thing. So the second part of this episode will be with our book club queen, Phoebe Miller of Phoebe Tales, and we're going to be talking about magic, the magic of fiction. And during our chat, I mentioned that on Twitter that morning, right before Phoebe and I spoke, I asked people like, was there ever a work of fiction that inspired your actual personal spiritual practice or your magic? And the answers were really interesting, but the answers kept coming in like later on in the day. And there was a lot of love for the craft, of course. I think many a witch began his or her journey after watching the craft. And one of the comments that I thought was really interesting was from Pink Doll at Vanity Barbie 13 on Twitter. Pink Doll said, the first time I saw a witch that looked like me was in the craft. Realizing that black girls could practice witchcraft opened my mind up to exploring my spirituality. That's so powerful to me. It shows the importance of representation in pop culture for sure. And it just goes to show you how meaningful a movie or a TV show can be for someone. It's not just frivolous entertainment. So we get into talking a little bit about that. And then we're going to carefully outline the rules of following along with us if you want to join in in the book club. The first live Twitter chat that we're going to have, it'll all be in text on Twitter on my end. Phoebe's going to be holding it down on Instagram. But the first one is on November 18th. And I just want to say that before, before we get too far into the episode, because right now the book is on sale in the Kindle store for 99 cents. And I just wanted to also <laughs> be obnoxious and be like, hurry, hurry before it's not on sale anymore. Cause I don't know how long it's going to be on sale. This will, you'll hear me say this again later on in the episode. But if you want to join us, our first discussion is going to be on the 18th. And then Phoebe will be posting things on 
Instagram. So let's just get into the interview with Ryan. It's a great conversation, whether you want to read the book or not. Phoebe and I are actually constructing our questions for people to be able to participate in the conversation, whether you've read the book or not. Again, because this book is filled with magic and witchcraft, we just thought, wow, there's a greater conversation that you can have here. So I think it'll be fun. Without any further ado, here he is, the very interesting, fascinating Ryan Kerr. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. This is really cool. I'm excited. I'm holding your book in my hand. Sage, Sage, Smoke, and Fire. It is a work of art. It's so pretty. I don't want to mess it up. I I know. When I first got it, the first thing I thought was, I don't want to touch it. It just looks so nice. It came out way better than I expected. I haven't even cracked the spine. Every time I go to look at it, I'm like very gentle (laughs) because I just, (laughs) what I'd love to do is get my book club to read this all together. And Mm -hmm. I have a signed copy so I can do a giveaway. So I'm going to try to leverage that into making this a book club pick. And this is public pressure that I am now applying to these people because (laughs) (laughs) this is a very witchy book. Can you tell us about it? Absolutely. It started around 2014, 2015. And I was kind of just sitting in my apartment at the time and I had been wanting to write a, you know, a really witchy story for quite some time. And I had been compiling all these notes and taking notes and not, you know, different scenarios that I wanted to include and different elements. And I got about 13 pages of, you know, all these really in detail notes and they just kind of sat there until recently when I had some time and um, yeah, it just started coming out from there. I really wanted it to be a character driven story, not so much what people really expect when they hear fantasy or witches, you know, there's definitely magic in there, but I think where it, where I really wanted it to, to strike people is the character development and the stories and the diversity of the different characters coming together and having that really be the focus point. And then the other part of it that I really wanted to do was explain and use magic in a way that is often a kind of overlooked in fiction where it's just sort of explained by, oh, it works because it's magic. So what I really tried to do is to try to make it very logical and rationalize a lot of it so that it made sense to people who, you know, might not be familiar with, you know, witchcraft or any sort of realistic magical element. So that's kind of where it started. And you are. You, well, the way that you define yourself that I have seen is as a mystic practitioner. You seem very witchy to me. Do you identify as a witch or as mystic? I do. Pra- okay, you do. Yeah, I do. Um, which is kind of a more term that I use kind of just within... My, my close friends, just because I think a lot of people don't really understand <laughs> what that is. Oh, um, yeah. But since I kind of dabble in, in many different things and I, I like to, to learn about, you know, the different aspects of spiritual communities and what they can bring. So I started using mystic practitioner as a way to kind of over-encompass all of that. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most fun things about this book, having not read it completely like as a story and just flipped through, mm-hmm. is... Maybe controversial. I don't know. It would be a shame to mar the utterly perfect beauty of this book cover. But this 
at the same time, there's like this greedy little marketing voice in the back of my mind that's like, slap a giant gold sticker on the cover that reads <laughs> spells and recipes in back. When I saw that, I literally yelled like, ah! <laughs> oh my yeah. God, oh my God. And it makes you want to be like, why is he putting this recipe in here? Because clearly it's part of the story. And right. that is so fun. And you're a pastry chef. Yes. Your first book is Sugar Burn. Yeah, um, that was my first book. That was a memoir, kind of telling the story of my journey through pastry school and then out in that commercial kitchen world and kind of what that was like for me. And that was my first kind of introduction to the publishing world. Are you a a fire sign? I am, and I'm, I'm an Aries. (laughs) This makes so much sense because I went to your Instagram and like the first picture was like fire. And then (laughs) this, this book is called sage smoke and fire. And then your first book is sugar burn. And I'm like, there's some fire thing going on with this guy. Totally. My favorite piece of equipment in the kitchen is a blowtorch. It's just, it's just, um, I'm an Aries sun, moon, Mars, and Venus. So there's a lot of fire going on. Oh, yeah. I feel like you need a a picture of you looking very witchy, but like wielding your pastry (laughs) blowtorch. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow it all comes together and makes so much sense when, you know, I just spent 40 minutes kind of online stalking you, which Mm -hmm. was really fun. I can't wait to get back to that after our conversation here, because I, I feel like I just scratched the surface. How does being a pastry chef and an author and a mystic practitioner and a massage therapist, I also saw, how does that all feel cohesive to you or does it? It feels cohesive in the way that it is all part of me in some way, but I I tend to get bored very quickly with things and because I always want to learn something new and I want to do so many different things. And I'm feel and like Aries? Yeah. No way. <laughs> right? I know. I'm unheard shocked. of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one that's like that. <laughs> Definitely. So yeah, I just I really I you know, I'm interested in so many different things and I feel like I don't have, you know, all the time in the world because, you know, life is short. And so I I just I this is the one project that I really try to kind of blend many of my different parts of personality and parts of my history and my different interests into kind of developing it in this new way. But yeah, I, I've got a lot going on. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I saw it described, I think on your Instagram, as a tale of witchcraft in the deep mm-hmm. South. I think the book takes place in Louisiana and you live in New Orleans. Is this I all do. Tr- Okay. Is that where this book takes place mainly? Yeah. Um, it starts here. When I was really young, I told myself, I didn't really think anything of it at the time, but I told myself that I would move around the world and wherever I was living, I would write something about where I was living and taking place there. And that sort of turned out to be how it, how it is. But yeah, this one takes place in Louisiana. Oh, well, where does Sugar Burn take place? That's in Chicago. Okay. Yeah, oh, I was wow. there for seven years. So do you have a, a picture in your head of where we might go next, or do you feel very settled in New Orleans? I definitely don't feel settled. I'm kind of feeling that itch, like I want to go somewhere new. I'm just not quite sure where. And I have my sights on the Pacific Northwest just because the visits I've, I've spent there have been very, very nice. I just, I really like that landscape so much. Yeah. And I miss I, the ocean. 
Mm. I can't tell you how many witches I've met and know who live in the Pacific Northwest. So I just equate it with witchiness. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Clearly they would love you there. (laughs) Bring in your pastries and your witchcraft. (laughs) They'll be like, welcome, welcome, Ryan. (laughs) I'm okay with that. (laughs) You know, what's interesting to me is you have a very calm energy to me that Mm -hmm. I felt when I was kind of cruising through all your stuff and talking to you now, you feel very grounded and present. I don't know that I necessarily equate that with fire, but maybe because you are fire, (laughs) you're just like, yeah, I'm comfortable here. Do you feel like a very calm person or is this something that you have to kind of call in when you're creating content or showing up for something like this? It's funny you say that because there is this sort of interesting dichotomy about it because on many levels, there is this sort of really, you know, passionate forward fire sign, but there's also this other part of me that's, I mean, I'm a Pisces rising. And so there's a lot of me that is very kind of Zen-like and chill. And a lot of certain situations will sort of play against my fire in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But in other ways, I feel like it sort of really kind of gives me a little bit, it takes away that sharp edge of the Aries energy, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel that when you said Zen, I was like, yeah, that's the right word for it. Yeah. I feel the Zen. I feel the Zen. How does that serve you as a writer? Because this is not a small book. This is, this is a good size novel. Yeah. As a, as a writer, it's, um, it's really helpful because it allows me to sort of focus that, that drive into this project, into a project. I get really focused and I, I just need kind of solitude and then I can create. And I'm sort of like that in other, other arenas too. Like, I think that's why I went into massage therapy because I was very interested in, in the body and, you know, the things that the body can do and how it can heal. And it was also sort of that really kind of quiet practice. And then pastry was the same way, you know, that was, that was something I could really sort of throw my creative brain into, but the environment surrounding that was very difficult for me. Like being in a, in a kitchen in a restaurant was extremely difficult. Yeah. I've heard, I I've read Anthony Bourdain's, I think the first memoir and I'm like, oh, this is really intense. Yeah. It's yeah. Very rock and roll and loud and busy and kind of dark. Like right. I think because of all of that, just the demands and the pressure and the speed with which you have to create. Absolutely. Where do you practice as a pastry chef? Do you have your own place in New Orleans that you actually are working as a pastry chef? I was at a restaurant when I first moved down here. I took a job um, as a pastry chef for a couple of restaurants. And then I recently just left those positions. And I was doing catering for cafes and and bakeries kind of around the city for ice cream because that's my biggest sort of passion within the culinary industry is frozen desserts. I just, I'm wild about ice cream. So I, I started doing that, but now I'm mostly just doing writing and massage therapy. Mm. I can see how the massage therapy and the pastry chef life could actually really serve the writing because they're physical things. It's right. It's creative, but there's like a physical component to it. Right. And as an airy air sign who talks 
in my business and writes in my business, when I sit down to write creatively, sometimes my brain is like, not again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm like in my head so much. So talking to you is making me feel like I need to get more physical. I think. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it really does. It helps move energy. It's, it's such a great thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I can totally feel that talking to you. You're such an interesting person to talk to because you really match the way that you come across in writing and in photographs. I watched one of your book trailers. I see that there are multiple book trailers. Did you make that? I did. Um, I spent a few months before the release filming, editing, all of those trailers um, and released them over a duration of a couple months. But yeah, I did all of those as well. They're gorgeous. Or the one I saw is gorgeous. So that's another like expression of your creativity. Yeah, I love film. I've always kind of been really interested in in film and the creative aspect of it. And it's funny because a lot of people who read the book, they tell me, they say it's it's really fascinating because it reads like film. It's like a movie that I'm watching in my head. And I'm always really excited to hear that because I'm thinking, yes, that's exactly how I want it to come across because that's how I see it. And that's how I write. I write, you know, kind of like I'm watching a film. Yay. I love that. That makes me all the more excited to read it. I read a blog post that you did. How did this even happen? That Cersei Lannister is on your blog. Speaking of ice cream, speaking of ice cream, this is a blog post people should go read. Also, Fire Sign Making Ice Cream. Hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you like it. Uh, Yeah, it just made me want to eat ice cream really bad. (laughs) But um, so you asked, you asked her what she wanted you to make. How did that happen? Um, I, I don't actually remember how it even in started. I think, um, I started, well, I was doing sort of custom flavors for, for just friends mostly, you know, and saying, well, even before that, what I was, I was really obsessed with Bjork. That's, she's one of my favorite artists ever. And her, you know, she's so, she's so creative about so many different parts of her music that it was really sort of interesting. And I would take her song and I would interpret it. I would take the lyrics and the mood and the visuals if there was a video of it. And I would interpret that into a flavor of some sort. And that's kind of where it started. And then I started doing other people and I would ask them like, what's your dream flavor? And, you know, they would tell me something and sometimes it would be a lot of information. Sometimes it wouldn't be. And then I would develop something, a whole new ice cream flavor just for them. And that's kind of where it started. And I would just, I would reach out to them and yeah, they would respond back and, it's kind of just started that way. And it's, it's sort of like a thing now. Every once in a while, I do a new one. So Lena Hetty is pistachio lemon ice cream? Mm-hmm. Pistachio ice cream with a lemon cream and a pistachio cake. And she made a video that you posted on your blog. Yeah. It goes with this blog post. Who, who else have you done? What other flavors um, can we read about? Yeah. There's, um, there's Rachel True, which I'm sure lots of people know from The Craft. Yeah. Um, I did, she gave me a few. She gave me um, a lemon, a vegan lemon one, which I never, I never got to, but I did her vegan s'mores one. So that was a marshmallow ice cream with uh, graham crackers and a fudge swirl. That was all vegan. Wow. Um, I did a couple of people from True Blood. I did Rob Kaczynski, uh, Mariana Clavino, and... Rutina Wesley from True Blood and Queen Sugar. That was that was the first celebrity that I made ice cream for. And I made one based off of the show that she was doing here. 
clean sugar. And I, I had my friend who worked in props and I gave it to him and he brought it to the set. <laughs> so that oh was pretty gosh. cool. Yeah. How fun. You know, what's interesting is I mentioned the word cohesion at the beginning, like it feeling cohesive and mm-hmm. even of all the TV shows and movies that you could be inspired to or making ice cream for it's, it's true blood. It's game of Thrones. It's the craft, you know, that's what most of us know. Rachel true from it's very witchy. Like it's just, it ends up witchy because you are you. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the most really fun things that I've, that I've done and I've had so much fun doing it and people have been really responsive to it. And it's, you know, it's, it sort of sparks this, it's, it, it also forces me to work with, things that I normally wouldn't or in the in response to flavors, like there's some ingredients that I just don't like and I don't want to eat and I don't want to work with. And so sometimes that forces me to do that, which is really cool. It's a nice challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That was part of that blog post is like, I hate this flavor and this flavor and this totally. flavor. And she picked one of the flavors I hate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's also, that's also kind of witchy. Like we just kind of gravitate toward the challenge. The thing that challenges us personally, I feel like that's part of this path. Oh, absolutely. Cause it's all about, you know, that's what forces you to grow and that, you know, not all growth feels good. And, you know, you don't really get anywhere new without, you know, putting yourself in those positions and doing those things that challenge you or are difficult or kind of just force you to think a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I love a good series. I especially love a witchy cinematic series. And it seems like that's what I'm in for. And you intend to write more books in this series. You've named it the Esoteric Alchemy series. So Sage, Smoke, and Fire is the first. Mm -hmm. And the word alchemy really stands out to me, again, because you're a pastry chef. And I'm wondering how your creativity, if you feel that being a chef is a form of alchemy like does that inform your your mystical practice and vice versa is there like a conversation going on between these two things oh absolutely I mean they both even though they're you know they're both kind of very separate ways of being they're also very much the same because you are sort of you know, blending these things and forming something and, and creating something and presenting it in some way that, you know, you are in control of. And it's, they're very much linked for me. Absolutely. I think that's part of the joy of, let me say it again, the spells and recipes in the back. Yeah. <laughs> and those almost didn't make it in there. I, you know, I, there's throughout the book, there's mentions of food and people there's you know really kind of in detail scenes about what they're making and what they're eating and a a friend suggested it to me who was reading it before it was published and he said Ryan I don't know why you don't have these in you know the book somewhere you should have the recipes in the back you really need to blend your two talents together and present it as something new I think people would really like that and yeah I'm really happy I did it and it was it was actually really cool and I love the way it turned out and I don't know why I didn't think about doing that in the first place, but I'm really glad I did. It's such a nice gift to your fans because you get to the end of the story and you're like, oh no, it's over. Now I have to wait for the next book. But then you have this section called the Esoteric Compendium where there's like terms and places. There's not a ton of recipes. There's a few recipes, but they're intriguing. One is for Mm -hmm. a bath that looks extremely witchy to me. 
And there's a risotto recipe that looks also just, yeah. why, why are you making me hungry, Ryan? What are you trying to do? <laughs> I would yeah. say that your friend was right on to suggest that. And that when this book catches on like wildfire, Target or Barnes and Noble or one of these places comes knocking, I feel like maybe they should take my advice and ruin the cover with that big gold sticker. <laughs> I, I can envision it. I, and I, it would make me pick it up all the more quickly for yeah. some reason. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I really love that people respond to that. It's really cool. How much a part of, I couldn't, is this, this is not independently published, is it? It is. What? Yeah. A hundred percent. Are you kidding me? It's, uh-huh. I would never know. Really? You did this from start to finish? Yeah. Um, from start to finish, I, I did the, I, I wrote the whole thing. Um, I did have it professionally edited. Um, and then I, my, one of my really good friends, Allison, she's a graphic designer and she helped me create this cover. And she's, you know, she's really, she knows me very well and she kind of knows what I was, what I was going for. And she's, very good at interpreting kind of what my thoughts are, especially cause I don't always really know what I want until I see it. So she kind of really helped me develop this cover and all together. And, you know, it was, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. It took a, lo- a lot of work and sometimes people really think that they can't do something or, you know, I don't know how you find the time to do that or you can't do that. But I think so often, even my, I'm guilty of this myself. Sometimes I think people have the idea that, stuff just happens like that, you know, that it doesn't take any effort or work. And a lot of times things happen because people are, are persistent and they're constantly working towards something and, you know, they, they have to develop it. And that's, you know, that, that's part of this journey. And that's, this is what came out of it after all that. I feel that Zen quality now when I hear you talking about that, because this clearly did take patience and persistence and also just like a strict adherence to a vision. Because to me, this, I would never know that this was not traditionally published because it's expensive. Like the the cover, when you touch it, part of yeah. the reason why I didn't want to crack the spine <laughs> until I was really just like, let me get my book club involved in this and we can all do it together, which makes it even more fun when you have people to be like, oh my God, can you believe what happened on page 45? That's really fun. But it's like when you touch it, it's like touching skin, which as a book nerd, I really appreciate. And then the design is elegant and there's a certain taste level, but so witchy at the same time. It looks like there's some sigils. Are these actual sigils or is it more just a graphic design thing? I showed her some inspiration of things that I wanted it to look like. And she made up these things on her own and she designed it all like that. Mm -hmm. Is there a magical, did you involve any ritual or magical process in setting this intention and seeing it through to the final manifestation, the thing I'm holding in my hands here? Oh, completely. Almost every single night I, meditate. And during my meditation, I will set aside the time to visualize this coming to fruition. And, you know, I, I would work with, you know, whatever people would like to, to call them, you know, spirits, uh, source and things like that. But I would, I would request that I would have the stamina to see this through and that I would 
be able to create this and that I would be able to put it out. And not only that, but that I would speak about it in the present tense as if it was already there because it, it, it was something that I really wanted to put out. And I believed that it needed to be out for me because this is much like food. It's my way of communication. And I really want there to be a different message out than I feel like is often kind of overlooked by uh, traditional literary agents and things like that, because they're looking for something very specific. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely put that into um, a visualization practice for sure. And just really stuck to my discipline about it. That's a great message for the other Aries out there because my friends who are Aries and clients that I've had who are Aries, they, one of their struggles is they're beginners. They have a lot of beginner energy Mm -hmm. and then they struggle to finish a thing because then they get excited about the next thing. Right. (laughs) And they like to stay in that place, but then it creates a lot of complications for, you know, like self-esteem and confidence. They start to not trust themselves because, because of that, because they'll get really excited about a thing and tell everybody about it and throw themselves into it. And then it just sort of like peters out for them. Like the fire goes out. Do you have any tips for them for how to keep the fire going to sustain that all the way through to the end? Um, you know, I've struggled with that a lot myself. And I think because Aries is a very sort of infant energy and, you know, it's, there is sort of a lot of that, that scatterbrained, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm so passionate, interested about everything and I have so many different things going on. I think the best thing to do is to focus the awareness on that particular issue. If it's a hangup, I think for me personally, I knew that that was something that I struggled with in so many different ways that, you know, I, I would get discouraged or I'd be like, well, if I'm not automatically amazing at something, I'm just not going to do it. And I'm going to go to the next thing that interests me. And after a while that became problematic. And I was like, well, you know, some of these things that you've abandoned, you really wanted to see through and you really wanted to do. And it, that's not a hindrance to anyone but yourself. And, you know, you're, you're kind of denying yourself to do all these things. And it takes like, you know, going back to it taking effort, you have to sort of realize that these things not everything needs to be seen through to the end. That's, you know, that's true as well. But I think kind of just forcing yourself to stick to something and finding out how you can stick to something. Like for me with writing, I found out through much practice that I knew that I was most productive between 11 a.m. and 5 (laughs) p.m. I knew that that was when I would produce the most. And I knew that... Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I focused on. Like I turned off my, you know, all my social media and the internet was off. All I did was work on writing. If it was outlining or, you know, writing a chapter or, you know, researching a character or something like that, that's all I did. And I knew that that's what I needed to do. So I think it's kind of just figuring out how you work and what works best for you because everyone's different. Everyone's going to, you know, you know, approach things differently. And I think, there's that level of awareness of yourself that you kind of need to work on in order to improve that. Mm -hmm. I always think that like the first rule of which club is know thyself Mm -hmm. because that facilitates what you were just talking about. Yeah, absolutely. It makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. Do you going back kind of to this thing of Cersei Lannister Mm -hmm. requesting ice cream flavor, which I think is very fun. Maybe I miss Game of Thrones. I don't know. But uh, (laughs) 
Do you have a vision or a hope that that this series will be turned into long form television or a movie because you love that and you like to write in a cinematic way? Very much so. One of my biggest hopes and dreams for this series is for it to be adapted into film or a series in some way. Although having said that, I do have conditions that I want to apply to that because like when I was, when I was first writing the book and I was kind of shopping around trying to get it traditionally published, a few agents reached out and they said, okay, well, here's what we think needs to be improved upon. This is what we don't like. We want you to take out all of this and all of this and all of this and all of this and all of this. And as I read through it, I said, well, that's, you're kind of missing the point of what I'm actually trying to say. And I don't think this story is for you. I don't think you're the audience. And I, I said, no, this is, you know, what I want. And, uh, you know, certainly taking things, you know, obviously sometimes you have to compromise, but th- there was a very specific vision and intention behind the book. And that was kind of my artistic fist saying, no, I think this is how it should be. And this is how I want it to be. That is hard to do. That speaks to your character because I know I would be tempted to be like, make the changes, get the deal, make the changes, you know, and that you actually felt so strongly about this, that you then went on to produce it yourself and see that vision all the way through to where, you know, everything I just said about how, of course, this could sit on the shelf next to any traditionally published book and people will pick it up, especially with that gold sticker that I keep harping on. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I can just see this. I can see myself walking through Target and looking down. I'm going to add visually like seen in the HBO series. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. How do you feel about the independent publishing journey because the work has just begun. This book came out, but now you have to get it in the hands of the people. And I think that's the appeal of traditional publishing because Mm -hmm. that's how you get it on the shelves at Barnes and Noble or at Target or even Costco, (laughs) which is sort of strange, but that's a thing. So what do you do? How how do you feel about that process? You know, I think a lot of people have this idea that, the book is published, it's done, but it's really more of a marathon than anything else because, you know, there's, there's always going to be something that you need to do to sort of, you know, market it. And that's been a very big learning experience for me because that's not really, you know, my industry. I don't have a lot of experience in that. So there was a lot of, um, there was a big learning curve that I had to do, but in a way it was almost really not simple, but it made a very logical sense because, you know, now in the age of like social media and all these different avenues that you can take, you can reach people that are in, you know, that reader base that you're trying to reach and you can find them and you can reach out to them and you can do it in so many different ways. You know, there's so many different ways you can approach things and even traditionally now too. So yeah, it's definitely been a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank you for reminding me. I got these beautiful books in the mail. I put them on my dining table. I think I told you I'm a bit like a chicken with my head cut off running around these days. That is what quarantine life has done to me Absolutely. as a single mom and solopreneur. And I get a lot of requests from publishers. Yours just really jumped out at me. And 
And then a, a few days later, I got an email from you like, hey, did you get a chance to check out those books? And I was like, just schedule the thing, do the thing. I think this is energetic because I cannot really pinpoint why out of all the emails that, you know, I get really overwhelmed by like, why would I open this one? And then why would I be like, oh yes, definitely. I can't wait to read it and send it. And how we got here to me is probably magic (laughs) because I know the people that listen to this podcast, we're a bunch of witchy book nerds. It's true. When I say nerd, I mean that kind of nerdy enthusiasm where you read a book and then you talk about the book and then you tell your friend they have to read it and you posted it on Instagram and you made a video about it. Like that's the kind of people who listen to those shows. So I just feel like it must be magic that brought us together for this conversation today. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. I feel very much the same way about it. It just, it, it really does. It just feels like that. Mm-hmm. When did you first get into, I I hesitate to say magic because of this label of mystic practitioner, but when did you get interested in the occult? I I couldn't even tell you because I I feel like it's been with me my entire life. I think, I, I think my first realization of that interest is probably when I was very, very young and I saw a labyrinth. Mm. I said, what is this? What are these things? And that sort of dipped me into the realm of, of fantasy. And through that, I was able to explore other things that kind of trailed off from that, you know, different parts of spirituality and witchcraft and things like that. And it's just, it's always been a very big part of my life in some way, even before I even knew kind of what it was, I was always kind of out in in nature and making weird potions. And, you know, I I would journal a lot and a lot of stuff would come out in journals. And yeah, I just, I feel like it's always been part of me. Mm -hmm. It made the most sense. Did you grow up in a religious family? Was this controversial or they were just like, there's Ryan being Ryan? (laughs) It's funny you say that because we weren't really religious. My father grew up Catholic, but it wasn't really enforced in any way. And then my my mom was Baha'i. She is Baha'i. And that really wasn't enforced or introduced into me around until like maybe high school. So I was like, I'm not into it at this point. But Mm. there was a point in early high school when... Um, and still to this day, she's never talked about it, but my mom found all these books on witchcraft and I think it kind of freaked her out at the time. She's very different now, but at the time she was like, oh my God, what is this? I can't have this. And she just took them and removed them and I never saw them again and neither of us ever talked about it. (laughs) (laughs) I know uh, a lot of people are relating to this right now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's understandable because I think movies and TV often portray it as being scary but what's funny too is so many witches I meet got into it because of charmed or the craft or you I think labyrinth you're the first person to say labyrinth but it's often it often comes back to movies books tv it's the fictionalized magic that I think starts asking we start asking ourselves like well we'll I love this. I, I want to feel this in my own life. Like, mm-hmm. And then you start exploring like, well, what is magic and what is possible in real life? And what's the difference between fiction and the reality of magic? And I think what's exciting about what I understand of your book is that it's sort of a blend of the two. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's the biggest thing I wanted to do and accomplish with that book is I really wanted to break that ground and bring the two together. Mm -hmm. I feel like the witchy community that was so largely inspired by the Harry Potter world is going through a big crisis right now. (laughs) And something that I always think about is back in the day, JK Rowling, she got a lot of heat for introducing kids to magic that, you know, from Christians, she herself identifies as a Christian and came out and was like, this is just pretend it's just magic. It's not a gateway drug. And I'm sitting over here like, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> it really is. Lady, you don't even know what you've right. unleashed. You don't even know. Right. But you are not a Christian writing about witchcraft. You're a witch writing about witchcraft. And there's an right. alignment there. Totally. Yeah, I think, I think just from the creation of it is very different because of that. Mm-hmm. Is, did you have that in mind, the readership, when you were like, okay, I cannot go the traditional publishing route because they want me to cut all this stuff? Were you thinking the stuff they wanted to cut? Was it the witchy stuff? Was it the witchcraft stuff? How did that all happen? Um, so, some of it was, and some of it was they wanted to change it in ways that kind of made it a little more less <laughs> controversial or approachable. Um, and I think, or they wanted to change certain things about certain characters and they didn't get why characters were doing certain things. And, you know, I, I, I give my writing out to a lot of people before things kind of get published or whatever. I, cause I really want to know what other people think. And I give them out to many different people, but a lot of the people I gave it to were, didn't say any of those things. So I thought, okay, well, I don't think that's, how it should be. I really think that what I'm trying to do is the right way it should be coming across. So, Oh yeah. um, Well, it depends who you ask. If you're asking an agent who works in traditional publishing, like they're seeing it through that lens and they're thinking marketability, they're thinking about their own career. Whereas if you just hand it to a friend who loves to read witchy fiction, they don't have any of that going on. They're just trying to enjoy the ride. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, that, that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like I always try to see if it, you know, I go the traditional route just to kind of, I go through all of that trouble just to kind of see what can come from it. But at the end of the day, I know that that's in the back of their head is that, you know, I know that there are tons and tons of people, like everyone has, there's so much talent in this world that it's insane. And I feel like so many people are overlooked because of that, because they're looking for, is this prop is this profitable? Am I, am I going to make a lot of money off of this? Because that's all, kind of all I care about. Like, are you going to be the next Stephen King? If not, that I'm not interested if the story is good or not. Um, and I think that's really sad because that applies to so many different kinds of art, you know, that can be, whether it's with food or music or writing, you know, there's so many different things. And that's why I think it's really important to, for people to really to continue to do what they want and to make these pieces of art because art is really important that what it's what part of what makes life, you know, interesting and why we're here and why, why we cherish it. Yes. I, I feel the internet is the greatest lesson in polarity maybe ever. There are things about it that terrify me and there are things about it that 
have liberated me. And one of them is what you're talking about in that I just remember having this sort of like renaissance of the mind when I was like, oh my God, these people are so hilarious and funny. Like on Twitter, like there are so many funny, clever people. And up until I had that realization, it was like the funny, clever people get the book deals and the TV deals. It's it's this pantheon of stars who they're the clever, funny ones, but no, no, no. (laughs) There are so many people, you know, showing up online, finding a voice, connecting with an audience. And the democ- I always think of it as like the democracy of art. The internet has given that to us. Mm-hmm. And we can connect with our people and we don't need permission. Absolutely. You know, and it, it sort of brings into light what success is, you know, and how you define success and what is success. You know, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you were a millionaire because of what you did, you know, was it successful in achieving its intention that you had? And I think people overlook the power of that and what they make. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I think it takes real guts and courage to drop money on an editor. It, it, it shows a commitment to the vision that you would do that because it's expensive. (laughs) If you you get a good editor, it's not cheap, but it's also necessary. I think when you're going to publish something independently, like you have. So again, like more points for team Ryan Kerr. Yeah. And it's, it's not something that has to be done overnight, you know, as excited as you can be about something, you know, if you, like with, with this, I knew that I, I was so excited to get it done and to just have it out there, but you know, to do it the way that I really wanted it to be took time. And, you know, I I had to sort of put myself aside and be like, okay, if you're going to do it right, you need to do it right. And you're going to have to be patient. And I'm the one of the most impatient people in the world. (laughs) So it's really hard for me to do that, but I'm really glad that I did. (laughs) You know what we should do? We should try to seduce people into the story so can you tell us like your favorite favorite thing about this story a character that you think is thrilling or that you personally felt connected to or some component of the story that's going to make us all be like i must read it now Mm, um well that's really tricky well i'm sure because you created this world (laughs) you're like all of it all of it but (laughs) is there one component that you feel particularly proud of or excited to keep exploring as the series continues a few things actually um on the antagonist side that was strangely enough one of the easier parts of the story to write because they were so different from how i think and how i view the world that it almost kind of gave me a, a really, you know, free reign over how I wanted them to be. And, and for a, a while, I thought they were a little too exaggerated, but um, clearly that's not the case, as we see. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I really liked just exploring something that was so different. And, you know, is, you know the woman is, is very Southern, so there was a, a lot of that that I had to bring into it. And, you know, I researched all these different um, dialects and in terms of speech and things like that, that I really sort of built this character and her world. And, you know, I really kind of fleshed her out, but on the, on the opposite side, each one of the characters comes from a very different, very different lifestyle. And they're all brought 
together to sort of cohabitate in this way that none of them ever really knew that they were going to do. And I think one of my favorite things about, I don't even know if I could even pick a, a favorite character. I really don't, but I think, I think my favorite is probably the focus of the main book, which is Nina, who is the leader of the coven. Who's a very successful woman. You know, she comes from New York and she's brought down to Louisiana to sort of hold this coven and, and teach them in a way that is almost like, you know, you're raising children. And, you know, she's also, she's very accomplished and she's very educated, but this is something very new to her. And she's also, you know, not completely confident. It was really important to me to show characters that didn't have a lot of confidence or that, you know, lacked certain things and, you know, had flaws or that forced the reader to feel like, oh, I don't really fully agree with what the quote unquote good guy is doing to sort of enrich in that, like in Game of Thrones, I, that's one of the biggest things I love about Game of Thrones is that even the the evil characters, you find yourself going like, oh, well, I kind of like that about them. You know, like it, it's just that sort of blend of there's enough, no one is a hundred percent all good or all bad. And I think that was my favorite part about it is that it had the opportunity to connect with people in that way. Yeah. I always think of a great story, like the yin yang symbol, like, the the darkness needs a drop of light and the light needs a drop of darkness yeah. to create that powerful story tension, but also to tell the truth about who we are as creatures, the human uh-huh. creature. It's that is the truth. And when uh-huh. you try to make all good characters and all bad characters, it reads as false. It's not as compelling. So I love that you get that. And of course that's a witchy thing too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's really important. I think that you started with the antagonist or that you felt really strongly about it too is also another key to a great story because a powerful antagonist will shape the protagonist. And it's it's awesome to start there or to really invest a lot of energy in that. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny because as you write, they sort of end up living their own life and they changed the story from a little bit from how I wanted it to be. And each book essentially is solving one of their, one of their tasks is that they have to bring back uh, the world into emotional, spiritual and mental balance. So each book, one of each, one of the three focuses on one of those elements, one of those tasks. And so kind of finding a way to use these characters, you know, very kind of flawed characters and these, you know, strange antagonists together to try to do that was, was really fun. Nice. What I'd love to do is, can you give a shout out to the people who are driving or cleaning their house right now who are not staring at their computer? Can you give them like a simple URL that they can remember to find you online? Yeah, um, it's really simple. There's a lot of stuff that they can find from this one link, which is my website, which is my name, R-Y-A-N-K-U-R-R.com. Oh, I love it when it's easy. I'm going to link to all the things anyway, but a lot of people I have learned consume podcasts on the go. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let us say Ryan Kerr, Ryan Kerr, go to your favorite bookseller and look up Sage, Smoke and Fire. 
Maybe I could do like a public book club. That could be fun. Mm. Get more people reading this. I'll have to think about it. If I do that, would you be willing to come back at the end of the book club and answer some questions for us? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I think that would be really cool. Okay, so here's how I always end this. I ask, what is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? I think I would have to say to never give up. I think in order to achieve that, you have to keep going and never quit. Yeah, that ties in perfectly with what you were saying about getting this thing done from start to finish and to not get sloppy with it at the end. Right. Yeah, if you want something, you have to do it. You have to make it happen, regardless of how many roadblocks there are. Like, if that's what you want and that's how you want to live your life, you know, then you have to, to work for it. You know, there's, I I don't think luck always exists. I think you sort of create your own luck by working really hard towards what you want. And I think that's the, I think that's the best thing, you know, whether that's turning internally or, or making things happen around you or surround or changing your environment, changing the people you're with and changing your mindset and your perspective, all those things play into the fact. So I think as long as you just keep working. Absolutely. Make your own luck with magic and Put the work in together, both. (laughs) There's magic in action. Absolutely. They work together. Mm -hmm. I told you, I told you he was an interesting guy. Lots of good tips there, I thought, especially for our Aries friends listening right now. And for those of you who are like, yes, I would like to read this book or I would like to participate in the book club. Here is the portion of the show with our book club queen, Phoebe Miller. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Joanna. So what's your little intro spiel going to be here, lady? What is Phoebe Tales? Let's, let's just tell them that. My website. I am going to put my writing there. And I also hope to help some other writers with their writing. I may also put some of my pictures there. So it's just to be a hub for everything that's my writing and my creative work. You're a big supporter of other people's creative work, which I love. And the thing that we have in common, we have a lot of things in common, but I feel like books is at the center of that. Yeah. Yes. The book club. Why did you start a book club? Phoebe started the book club. And then I got involved. I don't remember how long after. You started with nonfiction, I think. When it kind of turned into fiction, I was like, oh, I'm all about this. Real Magic by Wayne Dyer was our first book. I love that book. It it wasn't a popular pick, right? You didn't love it? Is that what happened? No, I did like it. it. I think it was the first it took a little bit of time for the book club to catch on. It was fun. All I, I started it because we all love books and I wanted to challenge myself. by putting myself out there about something that I love. What did you not like about Real Magic? Hmm. I don't remember not really not liking anything at oh. this point. I feel like I spied one day and I was like, oh, I should not participate in this conversation because I love this book. But maybe I'm remembering it wrong. No, it's been almost two years. So I don't remember. I might have. There's always something. You know me. There's always something. Yeah. I'm a defensive person. If I like something, I feel like 
dun, 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 I must be the great defender. <laughs> and then those things like kind of stick in my head. So I don't even remember specifically what it was, but I just remember them being like me feeling like, oh, they don't love it as much as I love it. Because that's one of my books. It, it, it was a bridge for me between thinking about like the law of attraction and all these spiritual philosophies I'd been exploring and then kind of crossing that bridge over into, I think we're talking about magic. We're doing <laughs> magic here. This is magic. I'm, I'm manifesting things with intention. And that was the book that really helped me make that connection. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I enjoyed it. We did have some heated discussions, some of the other people in the group. And we all can be rather opinionated. So that might have been what you saw. But it was fun. It was a good start. That is the whole magic of having a book club. You need opinionated people. Otherwise, it's just a dud. Like, And again, I, I think that's why you and I make a good team because we don't always agree. <laughs> <laughs> people don't even know the private conversations that we have. <laughs> uh, which I feel like we're more in agreement privately, which is kind of funny. But uh, it's good to have like a sparring partner or just to get different perspectives on a book because each person that reads a book has a completely different take on it. And that's kind of the magic of reading, in my opinion. It's no fun if everybody agrees on the same thing. That's boring. Yeah, 100%. So... In my opinion, this is just my opinion, but we have been on an amazing streak. Did it start with Ninth House, Lee Bardugo's Ninth House? I feel like every book has been a winner, a winner, a winner. Some more so than others, but really top-notch witchy fiction. I'm super impressed. I'm a little bit afraid to break our streak. <laughs> I feel pressure. We need a, you know, like a great book. Do you ever get that feeling? Yeah, whenever I go searching for books for the book club, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm glad Mexican Gothic went over as well as it did. Oh, my gosh. Mexican Gothic, to anybody listening, if you like spooky, magical fiction, definitely read Mexican Gothic, but I will give you the Karen spoiler. <laughs> Karen, our lovely Karen, who is in the book club, was super grossed out by some disgusting things like physical bodily fluids that happened <laughs> a couple of scenes. And I was like, yeah, maybe the book needs that kind of spoiler. So for all of you who feel like Karen, I will give Mexican Gothic that spoiler, but it definitely did not ruin the book for me. I absolutely loved it. It's one of my favorite books for sure. Yeah, I liked it. I will not look at communion, the Christian communion ever the same again, though, after what you said about Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't give any spoilers. Don't you dare. Anything other than that, but <laughs> you can edit. <laughs> no, I'm not going to edit. We'll leave that in. We want some intrigue. I, I'm a book pusher. I think this is how we got here in a roundabout way because the first episode I ever did, I think, in the podcast, or one of the first, was like, a list of books. <laughs> These are the books that shaped my spiritual practice. And then I couldn't stop. It was just constantly recommending books because if I love a book, I want the people I love to read it or the people that I'm hanging out with so we can talk about it. And for a while, I had a series on my website, a book nerd. It was called Book Nerd Weekly. 
because I'm an ambitious witch and I thought I could do all the things weekly. And for a long time I did. (laughs) And I can't help it. Is that a book nerd thing or is that a Joanna thing where I, I feel the need to push my favorites on other people? I think it's both. It's a book nerd thing and a Joanna thing. <laughs> so, and then you're also a writer. Is there a specific author who makes you want to write or who originally made you want to write? C.S. Lewis. Oh, really? I, that's what I read, remember reading first and really thinking about making my own worlds. And then Stephen King, but yeah, the Narnia books. That's such an interesting world to me because he was a Christian. Mm-hmm. And that world is so magical. And I guess that brings me to something I wanted to talk about today. I already brought it up on Twitter. Let me see if I can look at my Twitter account. Yes, I asked a question. Has any work of fiction ever informed your spiritual practice or personal take on magic? And then my first thought before anybody answered me was like, isn't the Bible fiction? <laughs> Every Christian that might come across this podcast would happily chuck a Bible at my face for saying that. But I mean, I guess it's a blend of history and parable and metaphor and all the things. But I think about like religion and spirituality, it's largely based on fiction, mythology and lore. I was like, you cannot separate the two. It's such an odd question when I really dig into it. Definitely. So what would your answer be? Uh, the, the Narnia books were the first big, would be like fiction, if you think about movies, can we think about movies too? Of course, I know we're talking about books, but... No, no, books, it's all. Books, TV, fiction. Um, the Narnia books, and also for movie, The NeverEnding Story was a big one. That's definitely on my list. And of course, The Wizard of Oz. I mean, that, that you always have the magic with you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I think that The Wizard of Oz is a little bit like The Beatles, where it's just like in the air and in the water. And so you don't appreciate it, really. Like when you're growing up, it's like, yeah, there's some air. Like it doesn't, the messages don't hit you sometimes, I think, when something so permeates the culture. And I feel like for me, The Wizard of Oz was one of those things that I had to grow up and look back on to be like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of ideas in that. I always thought about, like, escaping whenever I was little as a kid. So Mm. just the idea of being whisked off to another land was kind of cool. But then she always had the power to go home (laughs) to save herself. Yeah. I had that fantasy, but my fantasy was I'm going to be a single lady in the big city. (laughs) My fantasy was getting to the city and being a roommate. I think Three's Company had something to do with that. (laughs) But I really wanted to get out of Bakersfield and get to any big city. But Los Angeles was was the closest. And I I had a big crush on Hollywood. So (laughs) that too, in a way, is, is a fantasy. It's a bit of fiction. I think the first movie or any fiction that I consumed that taught me a spiritual lesson that I actually thought about was Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I loved Bedknobs and Broomsticks when I was a little kid. My first witch, I think. That movie is all about the magic of believing. And I actually wrote about that in one of the things that I made. 
creating thought forms that spring to life. I talk about the magic of believing because that to me is the core message in that movie. I get excited when I talk about bed knobs <laughs> and broomsticks. She was also a very powerful single lady, I have to say. That's Angela Lansbury. If nobody has seen oh. it, you definitely should. I have never seen it. Oh! <laughs> There's some interesting tie-ins with fighting Nazis. People say it is based on the real witches that gathered together to try to magic the Nazis away, which is an interesting idea. The thing I love about that movie is, well, it's about the magic of believing, but this swindler, this guy who is, he's just a scam artist selling a correspondence course, teaching people magic. He's made the whole thing up, but she doesn't know that. And she took his correspondence course and all the magic works for her because she thinks it's real. And so it's real. (laughs) And I was like, huh? Like later when I got into magic, sometimes I think our skepticism is our worst enemy. One of the most magical friends I have, she just believes in everything. Like she goes places that I just cannot go and it works. That's what's funny about it. (laughs) It's like, she just has such a believing heart. Yeah. So maybe that is why it's a good movie for kids because I feel like we're born that way and then life kind of takes it out of us. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. my other, I'm kind of hooked into movies mainly, I think, when I think about Mm -hmm. like a piece of fiction inspiring my personal spiritual practice. The other ones are not magical. I, I think Sliding Doors a movie that starred Gwyneth Paltrow in the 90s is one of mine because it's about the unlived life and the choices we make and how it shapes who we are. And then Groundhog Day, which I've talked a lot about here. I feel like I've done a couple of podcasts just about (laughs) Groundhog Day, but it's so powerful for those of us who love shadow work in particular. It's like you don't get to move on. You will relive this same problem over and over and over again until you heal this thing in yourself. Only then do you get to move on. Yeah, that's definitely a favorite of mine. I never really completely thought about it as magic, but yes, definitely. One day we shall go to Punxsutawney. Oh my gosh, that is for sure. It's like a whole field trip we need to have on Groundhog Day, which sounds problematic. I'm not a big fan of crowds and sitting in traffic but it might be worth it yeah it's it's pretty crazy i've been there but not during groundhog day it was some other time of the year it's near where the hubster went to college so there's a little place on the outside of town that has really good wings (laughs) can we talk about where you are on the map too because i was just joking about having a gettysburg getting the phoebe miller gettysburg tour I live right on the border of Maryland and Pennsylvania on the east coast of the U.S. Yeah, and you're telling me it's it's kind of magical in a weird way because a lot of Civil War stuff happened there. I believe you believe yeah. there are ghosts. Oh, yeah. There has to be. You think about it or something mm-hmm. around Gettysburg, everything that happened there. Why do you say it's magical? Just the feeling. All the people, that the energy that was brought up there during the battle, all the people who were killed and 
even the people who didn't die, you know, just the trauma of that moment. Yeah. I think passion Mm. and very extreme emotions in addition to trauma are highly creative. And I totally can see how that would stick around. Yeah. So do you have other works of fiction? Where, what did I see here on Twitter? Some people were saying, they were answering me. Somebody mentioned Star Trek. It was Kara. She said, Star Trek may be science fiction, but the examinations into spirituality and science and how they can converge on humanity and values shared across cultures, it certainly makes me re-examine myself. I've never been a Star Trek person. I'm not a sci-fi person. I like witchy stuff, like fantasy, but most people, I feel like, have that experience of Star Trek, or did you ever watch Star Trek? A little bit as a kid. We did not have cable until, like, the fourth grade, so I caught that kind of late Mm. in life, Um, but yeah, I could see it definitely, especially, like, science and spirituality kind of merging. The lessons that they learned every time they went on a mission... Oh, I was just thinking about how diverse their cast was as well. I mean, didn't really see people who weren't white on so many other television shows. Yeah. But really all fiction movies is magic. And you, you know, you know that we both you know everything magic. Oh yeah. Yeah. And science and magic too. That interplay is just constantly there. I think Star Trek is like what I was saying about the Beatles and the Wizard of Oz. Like I was born into it. It was just there kind of thing. So I didn't really appreciate it, if that makes sense. And then it kind of felt like, well, that time has passed me by. That's something for other people. (laughs) But I'm interested in the spiritual stuff. I like Spock GIFs. (laughs) 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 And then another one, June said this. Actually, she said two that come up over and over and over again. And I have never seen nor read these. One is the the OA, which was a TV series. I think it was, was it on Netflix? I think it was on Netflix. The other is author Haruki Murakami. You can tell I haven't read him yet. I want to. Haruki Murakami. People are evangelical about his work, about his books. And I have not seen that show or read any of his books. Have you? No, no. It's just there's so much to see. We are yeah. <laughs> we are inundated. I love it, but at the same time, I do feel like, gosh, I'm missing so many good things. I just want to make a whole army of Joanna clones and be like, <laughs> okay, you read this, you watch that, you read this, and then report back to me because I, I don't know, I... I used to say, oh, I'm going to need, you know, this many more lifetimes to get through everything I want to consume. But now with the internet, it's just constant creation, like all these new things coming out all the time and all these new ways and all these new channels. It's just like, ah, (laughs) yeah, the books that I have paid for that I have spent my money on. And sit next to my bed. There, I mean, there's so many that I haven't even gotten to yet that I've all that I already own. Much less, you know, ones that I still want to buy. Yeah, I'm happy that I cannot stream the internet 
So I can't, or at least not that that long or that much because of data usage. So I can't, I don't have Netflix, no Hulu, very limited. I watch stuff on Amazon Prime, but so many of these things have just passed me by, mm-hmm. which is fine because there's just so much. There's so much. Yeah. And then here, both you and I are, we're both writers. <laughs> Let us contribute to the problem. <laughs> You're you have written fan fiction, so you have been so inspired by other people's work that then you just want to keep building on it, which is a really interesting thing to do as well. It is really weird and interesting. Yes, <laughs> it's like it's kind of like junk food. It's a you know guilty pleasure thing, but just falling in love with really the actors that did those characters so well and then just continuing their adventures like i've said before it's like you know barbie dolls or whatever you just make up your own stuff yeah yeah that happens to me with books a lot not i don't want to write more in that world but i have a hard time leaving them behind like the characters or sometimes the actual place that the book you know is set in And then it spoils me for a long time. Like I can't get into another book because I've got my little book hangover and I'm like, no, I'm not ready to say goodbye to these people yet. So I can totally see why you would want to keep that going. There's probably fan fiction out there for whatever it is you were reading. Mm -hmm. I've dipped in, but I feel like the creator for me, I, I like that flavor. So it's hard to find somebody who can really... Tap into that voice, although they're telling us. I hope this is not true. The old lady in me does not want this to be true. The AI now can, you know, go through Stephen King's catalog, for example, and then write like Stephen King or whoever the author is. I find this very rude. Yeah, I read that. I will believe it when I see it. <laughs> I just, yeah. I mean, you maybe they could mimic the style in terms of just like dry construction, like how this writer constructs a sentence, but you can't tap into the, can you? I'm so scared. You can't tap into the heart and soul of a creative person. They probably can. I mean, people can do other people's. I have written in the style of, or pretending to be other writers and people couldn't tell. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I was just talking to Kendra on here about, you know, if you get into somebody's body position, you can actually start to feel their insecurity, their pain, where they're coming from, what kind of thoughts they're having. So I guess... Kind of like, what is it, method acting? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I guess you're talking about method writing. Yep. Ah. Speaking of weird and interesting... We are taking our tiny little book club. It's just a little tiny book club that we have (laughs) through Patreon. I say tiny because by the time everybody has read the book and then people's schedules are what they are, by the time we show up to do a live chat, I feel like there's like four to six of us usually that show up. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. And it's kind of perfect. I like it when it's small because then you can have an actual discussion. And I am prejudiced. I think our community is so smart (laughs) and so thoughtful and insightful. I always leave those conversations like, oh, oh, that was so good. 
because it makes you think about things that you wouldn't have otherwise considered to kind of tap into the brain of another reader, even though we're all discussing the same book. The weird and interesting thing is now we're going to try to do this publicly, but not in a live (laughs) chat on social media. I don't know if it will work, but we're going to try. We're going to see if you all listening right now want to do this with us. Do you want to tell them what the book is that we're going to be doing? We are reading Sage, Smoke, and Fire by Ryan Kerr. Well, I guess they might have put that together because that's the interview today, folks. (laughs) You'll hear in the interview like how this all came to be. I just kind of spontaneously in the moment while I was talking to Ryan, who is a witch, I just, I was so engaged in the conversation and so excited about what he had done in writing this book that I just sort of blurted out like, we should make you our book club pick. We should do it publicly. And then afterwards, speaking of hangovers, I was like, "Uh, I guess I need to run this by our book club queen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Phoebe, what do you think about this? And you were very nice. And you're like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Why not? Mm -hmm. So this is what we're thinking, everybody. First of all, please go check Amazon to see if Sage, Smoke, and Fire, the Kindle version, is on sale where you are. It is, as of the recording of this, it's 99 cents. And I'm really pushing this on everybody so as many people as possible can read it with us. I will link to it in the show notes. But hurry! I'm afraid the sale is going to end. I don't know when the sale is ending. And the paperback is a little bit pricey because it's a really beautiful book. And so I'm hoping people can pick up the the Kindle version while it's on sale and read along with us. The way we're going to do it is every Friday, at least on my end, Phoebe can tell you what she's going to do. But every Friday on Twitter, Twitter in the morning, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, I will be showing up on Twitter with a series of questions Kind of like what we did with Harry Potter before I really came around to understanding that J.K. Rowling is going to double down and really live her life out as (laughs) transphobic. I was like, oh, wow, I've put a lot of energy into celebrating Harry Potter. Now I feel kind of weird every time I say this. But we did have a really fun book club reading through Harry Potter on Twitter. So I'm going to use that same model and show up every Friday at 8 with some questions about a set amount of chapters. So how many chapters should we do the first week? What do you think? Hmm. We're going to have about 10 weeks. So hmm. do we have 10 weeks? I don't feel like we have 10 weeks because we are going to do the first one will happen on November 20th. And the last one will happen on December 18th. I guess I counted wrong. (laughs) It's like a month. We have a month to, yes. Not even less time. (laughs) Maybe we should say the first five chapters just so people can like ease into it. Does that sound good? Yeah, that's good. That is, I'm looking at my book. That's 77 pages. Okay. That's not bad. It goes pretty fast. I've started reading it. It goes pretty fast. I've never met a witch who does not love New Orleans. And what I've read so far takes place in New Orleans. I want to read it live with you all, so I have not read ahead. But what I think will be fun to do, hopefully this works, knock on wood, 
y'all better play along with us. <laughs> this is not a regular thing that we're looking to do. It's just a fun holiday experiment. Like, wouldn't it be fun if we all did this together? But I think what we're going to do is focus on the witchcraft and magic in the book because Ryan is a witch and the book is filled with witchcraft and magic. So that's kind of why we were talking about like how have spiritual, how have books or fiction, how have they influenced your spiritual practice if they have and so I just thought it'd be fun to get a discussion around that. And I think Phoebe agrees. Yep. Yep. And there's also in the back a few spells and recipes. I'm going to try. There's a cornbread recipe that sounds pretty good. Oh, he, did you know that he's a chef? Yes. Yep. I was looking at his website. Yep. It makes so much sense. The part that I've read so far, I've read the first couple chapters. You can get a sense that he's a very aesthetically driven person like the way that he'll describe a room or an outfit you just can kind of get a feel for who ryan is as a person like he loves this shit (laughs) food clothes decor atmosphere yeah well i love the house so far Mm -hmm. you'll always if if the author talks about spanish moss swinging from the trees (laughs) they'll have my attention that happens in this book. <laughs> I was like, yes, we don't have that where I live. So it's just super romantic. And the kid and I have been trying to get to New Orleans for two years for our birthday trip. Every year we do a birthday trip. We weren't able to go last year. We were planning on going this year and then COVID happened. So he keeps asking me, are we doing New Orleans next year, next year for our birthday trip? And I don't know what to tell him because there's a pandemic. So I keep saying, I think so. I hope so. So it's fun. I can I can travel there in in this little work of fiction. Not so little. It's a pretty big, good sized book. Yeah. What are you going to be doing on Instagram? Since I am have not been, I have not been on Instagram for a year, <laughs> almost, almost a whole year. I think my last post was Christmas of 2019. I keep thinking I'm going to go back. But time has been an issue this year, and it's not my favorite. I am a Twitter witch. I just love, 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 love Twitter. And I kept thinking, maybe I'll go back for this special book club thing. But ultimately, no. Phoebe's going to hold down the fort on Instagram. So do you have plans yet, or are you still kind of thinking about what you're going to do? For Instagram, I plan on doing some stories and little videos of Photographs, I'll figure out how to do photographs of stuff that pertain to the magic in the book mm-hmm. and some about some of the topics that it brings up that interest me and I hope interests everyone else. I'll figure it out. It's going to be a kind of, you know, inspired as I go thing, probably at least once a week, like maybe Friday, maybe in the middle of the week to stretch out our posts. Yeah. So how can people find you on Instagram? Oh, crap. I think I'm Phoebe Miller. I'll link. I will link to Phoebe on Instagram. I hope you all are following me on Twitter because you know that's my happy place and I like to talk to people on Twitter. But I'm gonna be posting there every Friday. Let's see if we can get a conversation going. Even just around magic, like I hope that you will read along with us, but I have a feeling there's gonna be some really interesting conversations going on around the book, regardless. 
Definitely. Okie dokie. That's it. That's the show today. Go check out the show notes at www.joannadevoe.com. Find me over on Twitter. I'm Joanna DeVoe. Everywhere you go, if you want to hang out and participate in the book club, find Phoebe over on Instagram, Phoebe Tales, Phoebe Miller. She'll be posting things. You can be posting things. Hopefully we can make a thing of this thing. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.